0: I, I want to ask you a, a question, which is what gets you out of bed in the morning? Did you ever hear anyone answer that, ask that question? What gets you out of bed in the morning? That's a pretty good question because something has to get you out of bed in the morning. People uh, struggle. Maybe you've struggled with depression or some other issue and really had a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. Another way of asking this question is, where is your hope? I just want you to notice that what gets you out of bed in the morning is something you're looking ahead to. Something you're looking forward to. If you have nothing, you don't get out of it. In fact, people who lose hope entirely stop living. Sometimes at their own hand. Hope is essential. You cannot keep going if you have no hope. Because every step we take into the future requires us to believe something about that future. And that is the very definition of hope. Hope is faith that looks forward. That's all it is. Faith that looks forward. And I'm using faith here in a very sort of generic way. I don't mean religion. I don't even necessarily mean faith in God. I mean faith in anything. Because human beings always have and always will and actually must live by some faith or another. You cannot live apart from trusting. So the question is, where is your hope? Where does your trust lie? In what do you trust? Another way of asking this question is, what is at the center of your spiritual life? What is at the center of your soul? What is that thing you rest on, that thing that might be called your foundation? You know, there's a lot of different things that people use for this. Lots of different answers to the question, what gets you out of bed in the morning? For some people, it's you'd say their, their life is focused on their family, or their, even their spouse, or their significant partner. Okay, yeah, that can get you out of bed in the morning. For other people, it's uh, the pursuit of material goods. Now, most of us recognize that that's not a very good one. (laughs) Even the people for whom their hope lies in the accumulation of wealth will deny that that is where they put their hope. And yet, that is where they put their hope. For some people, that's the focus. That's what gets them out of the bed. What I, the reason I get up and go to work is because at the end of the day, I'm going to be slightly richer than I am at the beginning. Now, there's another version of that, which is people who put their hope in the promise of achievement, In other words, it's not about the money, but it's about some other score on the getting things done, the work, the profession, the career. Lots of people, that's what gets them up. That's their place. That's their foundation, and that's the thing they press toward. For some people, it's pleasure of whatever kind, fun, Fun. In fact, this is very common in uh, modern culture. Are you having a good time? And the thing I'm looking forward to is having a good time. And I go to work every day so that on Saturday I can have a good time. And of course, there's a thousand different ways to have a good time. Some people... The thing that gets them out of bed in the morning is hate. They have enemies. Do you have any enemies? You might. Isn't it funny how an enemy can completely occupy your mind? And because someone has harmed you and now you are at war with someone, they become the focus of your life. I certainly hope that's not your condition, but it does happen. That's a hard way to go, I think, but people go that way. They get so occupied with the way others have harmed them and the need to get back. Of course, all of these are ways of saying self. Here's one you might not expect on my list church. Some people, the thing that gets them out of bed in the morning is their church, their religious life, their, uh, yeah, church. Their life centers around their church and the people in it. This is especially tempting for people like me who work in the church, but any, anyone who's involved in a church might develop this issue. I'm talking about it like it's a problem. Uh huh. Problem with all of these and many other things that people put in the place of my hope is all of these things are doomed. Every last one of them. Now, maybe I could take the church off that list because the church is going to extend into eternity. But here's the thing, the church is never the focus of the church, or it's not supposed to be. I shouldn't say it never is. All of these things will die. And if they are the core of your existence when they die, you are in trouble. Where is your hope? I'd like to convince you today that the only hope that is not disappointing is Christ. Maybe you're already convinced. Great, but you need to remain convinced, so I'm going to tell you about that. Because here's something I've noticed as a Christian. My hope is in Christ. My eternity rests in Christ and yet if someone does me badly my whole life can be immediately refocused on getting even getting mad getting justice i can i can spend a lot of time worrying about whether i have enough money hey you know what you do not have enough money I don't care how much money you have, it's not enough. So that's a disappointing hope. Work's a disappointing hope. Because one day you won't be able to do anything anymore. And your life is not going to be measured when your life is truly measured by how much you got done. Anyway... All these hopes are disappointing. you know what the Bible says about the ho- our hope in Christ? It's right in the book of Romans, chapter 5. Therefore, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. Hope. What's the focus of this hope? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's new. Because for a sinful person, the glory of God is not to be hoped in. It's to be feared. Because for a sinful person, the glory of God lies in judgment. Because God's goodness and righteousness require goodness and righteousness. But having been justified, that is having the righteousness of Christ granted to us, we now rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's a giant reversal. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So a person whose hope is in Christ has a hope that will not disappoint us. It will not fail. Many of the other places where we accidentally or sometimes intentionally locate our hope do fail. In fact, I would argue all of the other places where we put our hope will fail. But Christ will not because Christ is eternal and Christ is the eternal son and Christ has given his life as an atonement for our sins. So we have been justified in Christ and therefore have standing before God Almighty, who now is not inclined to judge us, but embraces us in Christ. And that hope remains. That's the hope Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says these three things remain remain. These are the things that last. Faith, trusting in God in Christ, hope, trusting in God in Christ for the future, and love, which is the result of faith and hope. Faith, the scripture says, works through love. So when we trust God, when we hope in Christ, we love God and others. I'm talking about where your hope is because it's a central idea in the text we're looking at this morning in the book of Hebrews. If you have a Bible, you should look it up, Hebrews 3. We've been looking at the first six verses of Hebrews 3 which begin with, therefore holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Stop and think of Jesus. And last time we talked about the first few verses of this and we talked about how whatever your problem is in life your biggest problem is you're not adequately considering Jesus. And we're going to see a little more about how that plays out today. And we looked at this text where Jesus and Moses are compared, I guess is an okay word, but they're not compared in the classical way. It's Remember how great Moses, it's more like this. Remember how great Moses is? Jesus is greater still. That's the way they're compared. There's no denigration of Moses in this text. Moses is called faithful in all God's household. And that's a quotation from the Old Testament. Faithful in all God's household. And it's, A quotation from the story when Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, you know how brothers and sisters are. They were, you know, kind of gripey, complaining about Moses, and God showed up and said, don't you talk that way about Moses. Moses is the one guy ever that I meet with face to face. That's the context in in which God makes this statement, Moses is faithful in all my house. And the writer of Hebrews is quoting that statement. And the point of that is Moses is the person most in touch with God in all of human history up until now. So he says, like Moses... says, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. And he goes on, and more so, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. You remember the glory of Moses, you know, he went up on Mount Sinai and he met with God face to face for a while. And he'd come back and people would say, hey, cover up your face, man, you're shining. And we read in 2 Corinthians that Jesus is the glow on the face of God itself. He's the the glory that was shining on Moses' face. He's counted worthy of more glory just like the builder of the house is honored more than the house itself. So now we find that Moses is part of the house and Jesus is the designer of the house, and the builder of the house. He's a bigger deal than Moses. Moses is a big deal, but Jesus is more. We read about Moses here that he's faithful in all God's house as a servant. And we read about Christ that he's faithful over God's house as a son. So there's a different relationship between the house and Moses and the house and Christ. Moses is faithful in all God's house as a servant for a testimony of things that were to be spoken later. And now we know, because we've read the first chapter of Hebrews, that the things to be spoken later was Jesus himself. The very speech of God, where God is described in Hebrews 1 as speaking to us in these last days in his son. And we could read in other places all over uh, in the New Testament John chapter 5 Galatians chapter 3 where Jesus actually says Moses wrote about me. The thing the testimony of things which were to be spoken later is Christ. Christ is the th- the one promised to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Well, actually promised to the devil, to the serpent. (laughs) Christ is the, uh, according to Galatians, Christ is the one promised to Abraham when God says, in the nation I bring from you, I will bless all the nations. And Galatians, Paul writes that when God said that, he was preaching the gospel to Abraham. So, that's where we left off last time. <laughs> Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And, he goes on, we Are his house. Oh. (laughs) Oh. So he's been talking about this house and the relationship of Moses to the house and the relationship of Jesus to the house. And now he says, What the house is? He says, It's us. What is the identity of the house? Us. Now we better ask the question well, who is us? Who is us? Well, it, in you know, just the normal usage of things, it's the writer of Hebrews and the people he's writing the Hebrews letter to the Hebrews too. But he qualifies it, he says we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Well, that's a curious expression and we're gonna have to figure out what it means but already he's identified who is us in the first verse of Hebrews chapter three, when he says, you who share in a heavenly calling, and when he says, holy brothers, and we know that that refers from chapter two to those Jesus has called and died for, who he is not ashamed to call brother, It is the congregation, the assembly referred to in Psalm chapter 22, that great messianic psalm that begins with the expression, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's about the gathering of the people of God in the person of the Messiah, the Christ who we now know to be Jesus And so he says, holy brethren, and that means those set apart by the priesthood of Jesus. And he calls us partners in a heavenly calling. We're those whom God has called from heaven to heaven in Christ. He calls Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession so, we are those who confess Christ, people who agree with God in Christ. That's what confess means. Confess means to say the same. Say the same. It literally is homologia, same say. And so, when we are, when, when the writer refers to our confession, it means our agreement with God. our coming around to see things as God sees them in Christ now people in those categories the holy brethren the partners of the heavenly calling confessors of Christ they're the house we're the house of God that uh, that reading we read from Ephesians chapter 2 that's what it describes. It says, you know, he's addressing Gentiles, he says, you know, you Gentiles, you used to be strangers and aliens to the people of God. But in the cross, Christ has created us now, Jews and Gentiles, has created us one new man. He's made the two into one. One new man, one new people, one Body of Christ. And so, uh, at the end of that text, he says, and we're being built into a temple, a house, a dwelling place for God. Now we know what a house does. A house is a dwelling place. A house is also an identity. This uh, idea was used in... uh, the Harry Potter stories, right? Some of you are young enough you read the Harry Potter stories. I barely know that there is a such a thing as a Harry Potter story, so you forgive me if I get this wrong, but in the Harry Potter stories, the the kids yeah, all belong to one house or another. So I don't know the names of any of these houses. Some of you belong to some of these houses. Some of you have actually uttered the words, I'm of the house, because you were Harry Potter fans. But anyway, you're from this house or that house. It's part of your who you are, your identity. We are of the house of God in Christ. It's who we are. It's who we are. The temple, the dwelling place of Almighty God, is the people of God. This was promised by Moses when he said, I'll live among them, they'll be my people, and I'll be their God. Now, of course, we're looking forward to the day where that is more fully realized, but it's true now. We are of the house of God in Christ. So he has these two expressions to identify who well who's who's part of this house. This house which is this group of people that belong to God in Christ. Well, how would you know if you're in the house or not? Well, it says if we hold fast. If we hold fast, now, it's a weird expression here. If we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Okay. The, the, the thing itself here is the hope. Just so you get that to begin with. The thing we're holding fast is the hope. And that hope is the thing that produces confidence and the thing that produces boasting, which is another way of saying confidence. So our hope in Christ produces confidence. A Christian who has his hope firmly set in Christ is confident because he is undisturbable he can't be thrown off, at least not easily. He's difficult to shake. And that's that process that was described in that text we read in Romans 5, that this hope produces, this, our, in our suffering, it produces endurance, and endurance produces patience, and patience produces character, which leads to greater hope, stronger hope, more sure hope. And a person who's confident, who's, whose hope is firmly set, is also confident. Now, this word confident in Hebrews is an interesting word because it's the word for courage. And the reason he's using this word here is because the Hebrews need courage. And that is why he says to them, Consider Jesus because they are afraid and they are talking, some of them, about maybe being shaken off of Christ by their situations. I don't know what kind of situation you're facing. It's hard for me to point to anything in my life and call it persecution. But other kinds of things can also shake us and scare us and get us to kind of lean away from Jesus when they really should be causing us to lean into Jesus, right? I mean, you know this. You've had situations in your life where you've leaned away from Jesus at the very time when what you really need to do is lean harder into Jesus. We do this, and thankfully, he's a good shepherd. He keeps us together. But the, the thing about this is we're the ones who, whose hope produces confidence. And this confidence is public courage. In other words, he's saying, look, Hebrews, I hear you're thinking about, you know, toning down your Jesus talk because you're afraid of the potential for persecution. That makes me wonder if you're part of the house. If you are part of the house, it produces confidence. It produces confidence. Because those of us who have put our hope in Christ, well, what are they going to do to you? Really? Well, they could kill you. They could do things probably that might seem worse than that. But if your hope is in Christ all of that will be turned upside down in the end. Everything bad will be turned good in the end in Christ. And God says if he gave you his son he'll give you everything along with him. And in the end we inherit together with Christ the universe. Nothing left out So if your hope is in Christ, you're bold. And that's really the second thing. He says, our boasting in hope. Well, this is a boasting that isn't really boasting. Because what is the boasting of our hope other than it's boasting in something that I have only been given completely freely without any requirement from me I just take it I just receive it well okay so Paul writes like this 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 isn't Paul but this guy I think he knew Paul but anyway Paul says we the only thing I have to boast in is the righteousness of Christ which isn't mine but his it's given to me and imparted and imputed to me, and then I can live from it. And so we have this boasting that isn't really boasting. We're the ones who hold on to hope in Christ. That's who's the house. That's why I asked the question, where's your hope? Where's your hope? The only hope that satisfies, ultimately, is hope in Christ. And so we hang on to that. This word, hold fast, it's going to get repeated in the book of Hebrews. It's, a, it's really great. It literally means to lash down. <laughs> you might be familiar with the story of the Odyssey Who is it? Odysseus or Homer? I can't remember who the character is. But anyway, you remember they're on a boat and they're trying, they've been in this battle and they're trying to get home. It's the story of getting home, right? It's a classical story. and But they have to sail past this island and the island has these sirens, these mythological beings, and they sing. And they sing this beautiful song. In fact, the song is so beautiful that sailors cannot resist it. And so, when they sail close enough to the island to hear the song, they always go to the island and they sit around listening to the song until they die. Well, Odysseus heard about this and he's speaking to some goddess, you know, and he says, Oh, you know, what do we do? And, she, uh, he says, you know, I'd really like to hear this song. <laughs> well, that's kind of how we are, right? I'd really like to hear the thing that's going to kill me because it's so beautiful. But, uh, you know, but I don't want to die. So he, the goddess gives him a solution. He says, she says, well, put wax in the ears of all your sailors so they can't hear the song. And then tell the sailors to tie you, lash you to the mast of the ship so that you cannot move. And then you can hear the song and they'll just keep going and tell them if you start crying and moaning about let me go so I can go, then tell them to tie you down tighter. Lashed to the ship. Here we are lashed to our hope in Christ. It is the thing that saves us and we hold on for dear life to our hope in Christ. That's what's imagined here. That's who's the house. Those who do that. Those who do that. When we sail through irresistible temptation, we're lashed to the mast. And we cannot be lost. When we sail through storms and difficulties and things that look like they're going to kill us, we're lashed to our hope in Christ. We sail through. In other words, we're the people who hope in Christ. We're the people who consider Jesus. That's who's the house of God the people who consider Jesus, we know who he is. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's the eternal son made flesh, made one of us. He's God's final word. And when we come to know Christ, we hear from God. We know who he is. We know what he's done. And here in Hebrews, he's named us brothers and sisters through his life his death, his resurrection, his ascension. He has made us members of the household of God by his high priestly ministry. We know that. We're confident in that. We trust that. We know that what he's going to do. The the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 used this expression, it was fitting for him <laughs> to make perfect through suffering in 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 bringing many sons to glory to make perfect through suffering the author of their salvation. What's he doing? He's bringing us to glory. This is still in the future. Well, kind of. Some, it's kind of now and kind of coming, both. He has brought us to glory and he's bringing us to even greater glory in the resurrection, the glory of the children of God in the revelation of Christ, which we read in the book of Romans, all of nature is groaning for. We've tied our fortunes and trusted our fates to Christ and in that we are the house of God all of this is from God in Christ and by the spirit so consider jesus consider jesus this is the the chorus the refrain of the book of hebrews trust Christ, stick to Christ. The, I, the, the possibility that you might come contemplate doing otherwise seems really crazy to the writer of the book of Hebrews. And that's why he wrote the book, because he's hearing these things where people who call themselves Christians are wavering. And so he's writing to us and he says, consider Christ, focus on Christ, put your hope in Christ, hold fast to Christ. This is not a chore for you to do. It's to simply operate by faith and hope, to recognize who he is, for who he is, and to cling to him. So I would suggest to you, don't let those other possible hopes distract you. <laughs> don't let them distract you. Now, many of those things are they're certainly good things, and they're part of life and part of being focused on Christ in many cases. But our hope is set on Him, lashed to Christ. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you for this. We worship you and praise you because you have brought us to glory in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen.